Um, good. So we will start going live. All right. And we're going live. What is up, everybody? We are live and direct in DOK live stream, not 100. We are now on 101. This is our 101st live stream. And because of that, I made a deal with all of you, our wonderful folks, uh, spectators out there, which, by the way, if you haven't subscribed or liked this video, subscribe to our channel, just do so now and get it over with because we know you want to do it later, but just do it now. Um, I made a promise. I made a commitment. Uh, I, I publicly stated that if we got uh, 101 attendees for our 101st meetup, that I would laugh, rap, sorry, live uh, for all y'all, which normally we do afterwards. You know, we put it in a video format and don't worry, we're still going to do that too. But I feel it's my duty and it's an honor and a privilege to wrap for our wonderful guest today, Alex uh, Gallego, who's joined us from San Francisco. I had the pleasure of meeting a couple weeks ago. So I'm just going to get this out there quickly. It is true also if we're talking about the data on Kubernetes community historically. We actually started out doing the rap videos first, acapella, right? So this is kind of being true to our roots. Um, so let's see how this goes. Uh, please bear with me. This wasn't easy. I wrote the lyrics today. They're kind of fresh, right? They're kind of fresh. So if, you know, they're, you know, the demo gods are in my favor on my side, this will hopefully go well. Let's kick it off. All right. Alex with no malice, grip the chalice, wonderland like Alice and gallops at paces with greatness, make shift, creative, but never complacent, face and misplaced monoliths, retrace the old forgotten addicts, workload, critical mission, reposition your addition, adds up to buckets and blobs, easily scalable, cleaning up those pods, buckets we struck in the cluster, quitando polvo, call me the duster, my folks in Vallejo, near SF, Alex Gallego, keep it close, so Lego my ego. Lego, my ego. Ego did not pay me for that reference for that product placement. But anyway, got that out of the way. More importantly, great to have you with us today, Alex. How you doing? Oh, my God. That is easily the best MC intro <laughs> of all time. That has to get recorded. If people haven't liked this YouTube right now, I don't know what they're doing. But if they're in anywhere related to data, uh, that, that, is, that is the best intro I've ever had, even from keynotes. Uh, thank you for that. That was amazing. I, my pleasure. I need my to pleasure. have that. Honestly, as part of my, my all hands in the company now, I'm just going to try to invite more. <laughs> here's, more. Here's my MC. You're more than welcome to. We, we will try, we'll cut that out, you know, of the, of the video. We'll get it over to you especially. But more importantly, Alex, uh, like I said, it was wonderful to meet you a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco. Now I'm on the other side of the world in Spain. Uh, you've got a lot of things going on, but can you just give us a, list, a little bit of background about yourself? I'm sure you've explained this a lot. So maybe could you tell us some fun facts that you haven't mentioned in previous interviews or podcasts? Yeah. Um, so, right. So, so Alex, I've been doing uh, streaming for about 13 years, basically my entire ca professional career. I started playing with Kafka since like 07 in 2011 and, and Zookeeper 3.2. Um, anyways, uh, prior to this, I also built and sold the company to, to Akamai. It was in the stream process in a space. So you can think of it as a Spark streaming that I also wrote in, in, in C++. Um, you know, a fun fact, a couple of fun facts. Um, one that, so, so the company's name is, is Red Panda and excuse me, is, is Vectorize, but nobody knows what Vectorize is. Everyone just knows Red Panda. And the way, the way it came about was, um, when I started the company on the product, so I, so I wrote the tech, not even thinking about, um, you know, become this becoming a large company and, and kind of having the, the kind of success we've had. It was really on my laptop, right? So I, I opened up like Emacs and, and, and GCC and I was just hacking like a future of a storage engine. And so um, I sent it to like, uh, what are like 50 friends or something like that. It's a large number of friends, developers. And I, and I was thinking of like cool nerdy things like, you know, vectorized instructions, um, 
all sorts of, of like, you know, uh, playing with words around j- just the things that we do mechanically on the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote Red Panda uh, somewhere in the middle uh, because in my head, I was like, nobody fills out this, this, this service. Like, um, and so we'll see if, if they actually uh, read it. So <laughs> it turns out that the Easter egg became the, the, the name of the product. Uh, and so Red Panda was just like there as, as like a fun thing for, for people to see if people actually read and, and fill out the survey. And like 80% of people, they're like, it's just super cute. It's, it's a really cute animal. And then a second fun fact is uh, the, the logo of, of this little cute pet. And, and for anyone listening into the stream, uh, uh, if you join the Slack, let me know and I can send you uh, some cute, really cute stickers that we haven't even announced. Uh, so especially for, for the DOK, uh, we'll, send, uh, we'll send stickers all over the world. Uh, so just uh, ping me and send me your address and I'll send you one. But the second fun fact is this pet, this little pet, uh, uh, this like A-bit art looking uh, red panda. It started out, so at first I hired like a big design firm and they gave me something I didn't like. Uh, then I went to Columbia and I got a different design firm that I also didn't like. And then my wife reached out to this woman on 99 designs and we paid a hundred bucks and she was perfect. Oh. And so, <laughs> it's just like, so, so there it is, like spent thousands of dollars and, and this woman on 99 designs, uh, built the cutest mascot. And so, uh, two fun facts that no one has ever heard of before about it. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, well, first of all, the, with, with both of those, but I mean, going to the first one, you know, when we say, you know, practice random acts of kindness and so what was it? Random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. I think that's a really good example of don't be afraid to do, to just take a chance. And, and there you have it. You know, you get, you get a name for, uh, for a wonderful thing like Red Panda. And the second one, you know, don't necessarily buy into the biggest brand that you might find. A lot of times you can, there are a lot of hidden gems out there. And we've seen that as well in our community through different artists and musicians that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about but you get them on here and people realize, wow, you know, this is a, this is a great discovery. So I think there's, there's a lot to be learned from that. Um, now today we're going to be talking about building a storage engine on top of Kubernetes. Exactly. Where did this idea come from and saying like, Hey, we're going to do this. How did that happen? Yeah. Great question. So um, in 2014, um, when I was building Concord, I, I thought right from a technical perspective, this was before Kubernetes became uh basically the thing that it is today, which is like this, this massive, probably one of the most successful open source projects in the history of open source projects. Uh, the pace of innovation in Kubernetes is insane. Like it's, it's just, uh, it's awesome. So uh, in 2014, I thought, hey, you know, the world needs an, an Oracle. And, you know, I was referring to Mesos and Kubernetes as, a, as an Oracle. Uh, but back then, uh, Mesos was really the, the, the main sort of stable uh, cluster orchestrator. And so, um, I built a, a stream processor on, on top of Mesos as a two-phase scheduler uh, framework. And what it gave me was kind of, um, you know, sort of first, we were one of the first uh, frameworks ever full stop to, to be um, a scheduler on top of Mesos that wasn't in, in, in Twitter. I think we were the first enterprise scheduler on Mesos that wasn't at Twitter. And so, um, so anyway, so that experience was like, oh, this is, it's really actually super useful to have an oracle that can react programmatically to to failure in particular to failure uh, but what was most insightful then out of the concord days was that you have two kinds of failures for for the systems that i tend to work on you have stateful systems kinds of failures that are much more complicated and you need code 
to react to that kind of failure. And then you have stateless systems kinds of failures. So like, you know, uh, an Nginx. And, and then for stateless systems, you can actually just write a policy. And so a policy for stateless systems is like, if, if the thing crashes, uh, just restart it or scale it or, or shard it or, you know, whatever it is. And the cost of that is perhaps a couple of drop TCP connections, et cetera. But it's really not, it, it doesn't have like semantic failures. And now the cost of a stateful systems is really complicated. An example is, um, if you can, uh, if 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 the thing that is that is producing a transaction crashes and part of the protocol uses this this oracle, uh, then you can do uh, you know uh, interesting things like revert transactions or you know post uh, uh, like a, a a dead letter message that says like hey this thing was incorrect to 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 accuse so that um, you basically leverage the 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 supervision that Kubernetes gives you. Um, to, to enhance the system. And so long story short, mm-hmm. when I was building this storage engine, I said, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, sort of intelligence that we can put into the storage engine. And, and we'll talk about most of those uh, today. And in particular, you know, what is the second half that, that Red Panda cannot give you that Kubernetes has to give you, right? So the first half is the storage engine. The second half is really, uh, you know, sort of holistic s- system uh, um, uh, mechanics. And, and one of those, an, an example is like everything around the environment is really challenging for the storage system to do itself. And it doesn't make sense for it to do uh, like TLS certificates or, or, or DNS, right? Or, or dispatching DNS or, or uh, supervising that, that there's, a, there's a particular number of pods uh, always running in the cluster so that you meet your, your availability SLAs. And so anyways, so the idea of partnering with an Oracle uh, really started in 2014 for me uh, in, in playing around with, with second phase schedulers. Uh, and, you know, frankly, Kubernetes one, right? Like uh, uh, Apache Mesos was recently put into, into the attic uh, <laughs> and, and it's great, right? Like I, I think the world needed a unification of the API and, and this is really what, what Kubernetes brings. So, so that's how I see Kubernetes is really kind of as the, you know, as, as, as a companion Oracle to automate the, the deployment of infrastructure. And the idea here is that people are drowning in complexity and these two pieces allows us to write code to, you know, to, to have a hands-off system, more or less. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great start. And, and I really like how you mentioned how where, you know, Reddit, where Red Panda, you know, stops off, drops off. That's where exactly where Kubernetes steps in uh, to arrange that. And I think like you said as well too, the sort of, uh, you know, the, uh, that it's sort of a relief knowing that this battle between Kubernetes and Mesos has, you know, since died down and Mesos now in the attic, despite being a great technology, that lack of unification, I think caused more headaches um, than help in a lot of cases when talking about automating uh, infrastructure. Um, so anyway, that being said, we're also going to be creating some history here today because Alex doesn't have a presentation. He's going to be drawing live for us. I didn't know that you were much of an artist, but now we're going to be able to see this. Um, you know, honestly, if my mom sees this presentation, she would she's gonna be floored because I am a six. I'm like a circles and arrows uh, kind kind of uh, uh, artist, if if you will. And and so, okay. um, but but we're gonna get through this. Um, hopefully, this is much more interactive. So I really invite everyone in the audience right now and and later in YouTube uh, too, if if you want. So ping yeah. me offline if you if you see if you have any questions. But the idea here is I'm gonna walk through through presentations and the this the design space is so so vast uh that to me i think if you showed up here i think you get first pick as what we talk about and i'm happy to talk about anything from like 
low-level uh, storage subsystems, which I will do a quick brief uh, two-slide presso, and then we'll we'll jump into okay. just an interactive presentation. If, That's if that great. Helps. Yeah, folks, just remember, uh, feel free to drop any questions in, in the YouTube chat. If for whatever reason we don't get to your question on time today, you can definitely continue the conversation with Alex in the Red Panda Slack. Already linked that um, in the YouTube chat, so very, very in the comments, so easy to find there. Um, so yeah, if you want to share your screen, Alex, go for it. Okay, awesome. Um, let's see. So um, I, I didn't really uh, have a presentation for this because I wanted to be interactive. I did want to talk about two things uh, that are fundamental and that actually uh, play an important role in defining a storage engine for Kubernetes. So at the lowest level, uh, Red Panda is, me, let me start with this. Red Panda uses a throughput core architecture. And this is, I think, fundamentally different from probably most storage engines that I know of. Um, and so the idea here is that, um, that there's really two, two, two big improvements in, in, uh, in a, for, for storage subsystems from the hardware, right? So the first one is that spinning disk is now, excuse me, disk um, a decade ago was, was pretty slow, right? So you were bounded by the clock tick of, this, of the spin, right? So every clock tick of the, of the spinning disk. Um, most algorithms were around coalescing your, your blocks so that you, know, you would have um, higher throughput right into disk and, and ultimately amortize the latencies. So that bottleneck shifted as NVMe devices became a thousand times faster than, than spinning disk, right? And so now you can save a page on disk in 24 microseconds, let's say on like a moderately contended disk, it's around 140 microseconds. And so, so that's the first bottleneck that uh, is kind of fundamentally different for building modern architecture at the lowest level. Uh, and then the second material improvement in computing is that computers are now 20 to 30 times taller, right? So you go from a, a two core or four core machine now to 225 core VMs on, uh, on, on Google Cloud and, and 96 VMs on the i3D and metal instances on AWS. And so how, how do you sort of uh, construct software for, for the platform, right? And remember the platform is always the hardware. <laughs> it doesn't matter what virtualization platform you're using, uh, the, the hardware is always the platform. And so the first fundamental distinction here is that uh, Red Panda uses a third-party core architecture. And so it boots up and it says, uh, you know, hey, uh, kernel, like how many threads I have. And this is where Kubernetes, you tell it like, hey, you, you get access to with, with C groups, you say you get access to three cores or four cores or N cores, right? Um, and so you slice that and then, and then so that's the first. And then it asks the kernel, hey, how much memory do I have? Another C group limitation um, or, or security control. And, and then it's, it takes the memory and then it chunks it uh, evenly across the, the, uh, the number of cores that, that it starts up. And, and that's all the memory is going to use. And so uh, for, for those of you that, that haven't uh, worked with, with um, no virtual memory, right? So it's actually really challenging. <laughs> and so the idea hey, here is sorry, that- Alex, one thing really quick, could you zoom in a little bit more? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna just present. Okay. Is this oh, better? Perfect, yeah. Okay. Great. And so, um, so, so this is similar to Linux kernel uh, uh, style of, of thinking when writing software is, is that, well, the kernel doesn't have virtual memory. And, and so we, because we pre-allocate the memory that you give the container, we also don't really work with any virtual memory. And so, so that's kind of a, an interesting and, and, and different part of architecture. And this will become apparent as to why this matters for, for Kubernetes. Um, not, you don't need to have this for Kubernetes. I'm just giving you context as to why some of the later decisions uh, matter. 
So that was the first one. Uh, the second one is uh, everything internally is, is asynchronous, but this is the, the slide that matters the most for those, those in, in the Kubernetes audience. Um, so um, if, you, if you look at this, this device, right? So this is probably, uh, and this is an NVMe SSD device. This is a Western Digital. Uh, this is actually what was on my laptop at the time I wrote this uh, presentation. And so I benchmarked with FIO, like what is the throughput that this device can actually give, right? So if you're saving data, this is actually how it looks in your, in your laptop. Um, what, what, how, what's the throughput that you can get? And so roughly, you know, I think around 1.2 gigabytes is, is uh, one, one to one, two is, is really what, what a sustained throughput this particular device can have. Now, let's look at why a Threadpore cord and an asynchronous model first uh, uh, matters to build in a new storage engine from the ground up, right? Like, why, why, why not extend a different storage engine? Why do you require a re-architecture from effectively bypassing the kernel as much as we could uh, to later being exposed in Kubernetes? Um, the reason here is, is that, uh, let, let's say that you're on a single core and, and that core has a three gigahertz uh, um, uh, clock tick and, and so you're looking at around 3 billion instructions per second. They say that for this particular device, I know because I've benchmarked this device, it's the one that's on my laptop. Uh, <clears throat> just to save a single page is, is you're looking, you know, 20 microseconds to, to 140 microseconds is, is, is pretty common. If it's uncontended, you can get like, you know, single digit microseconds, like seven, eight, nine is, is, is actually pretty common. Um, and so if you write your, your application in a, in a sort of uh, sequential fashion where you say like open, uh, you know, read, write, close, um, you're looking at for, for just writing the single plot, right? So if you say like write, um, you're looking at around 420 million uh, clock cycles wasted. And so the idea around a thread record architecture uh, compounded with asynchronicity first, right? So they're, they're co-designs. So the first is one is taking advantage of vertical uh, hardware, uh, and, and the other one is taking advantage of how the hardware actually works underneath, right? And so uh, when you combine those two ideas, uh, you, you get you know, effectively a red panda, and this is really kind of the PSL resistance or where some of the latency improvements come from for us. So um, anyways, so, so those are the main two things uh, that, that I wanted to talk to you guys about. And so now I am going to, to stop here, answer any questions, and then I'm gonna to move to a, a kind of uh, an interactive uh, drawing. Um, I'm gonna join from my tablet. Um, so please feel free to ask me any questions on this slide before we move on to the, to the interactive drawing and talking about Kubernetes. Definitely, quick question, Alex. Uh, if we're thinking about, you know, I understand Red Panda, you interact with a fair amount of developers. To make developers, you know, one of the things we talk about with Kubernetes day one, day two operations, is how can Kubernetes become more boring so that developers just focus on the things they really need to focus on? When we're thinking about storage and even getting into hardware and the different stakeholders that are gonna be involved in this for the, let's say, average data engineer or even up to architect, what kind of metrics should they be aware of in terms of the stuff that you just mentioned? Great question. So, um, so, so, so I think the biggest improvement is actually not the mechanical improvement that Red Panda brings to a storage subsystem. It's actually the, the, the developer experience. And so mm. this is actually very counterintuitive. And, and, and the reason here is that, you know, uh, we are the storage experts and the, the point of, of raising the level of abstraction for developers, it's kind of like a file system really, right? So when you're writing a file to your computer, you use a file, typically, we don't use, well, we use a direct AIO. Uh, you typically would use the file system as, a, as an interface, or you, know, you, you don't go and write your own TCP stack, or most people don't write their own TCP stack. 
And so, um, so that's really what we're trying to do is, is, is we kind of focus on this low level bits, um, but the real improvement I think for most people will be the, the user experience. So now on the user experience front, the things that people will, will want to understand uh, for a storage subsystem is really you know, throughput, latency, uh, CPU utilization and network utilization. And I actually wanna talk about Kubernetes now uh, in the drawing. So, Bart, can you give me uh, access to, from my tablet, it should say like Alex Gallego tablet, uh, so I can uh, join and, and do interactive drawings and share my screen. Yes, I can. We also got a wonderful comment from the audience of someone saying, I used to think I was smart until I started listening to Alex Gallego. <laughs> so <laughs> one thing real quick, let's get you on here. Um, there we go. I think you should be. Okay, awesome. Let me let me join. Um, okay, so um, so this is. <laughs> let me know if. Um, yeah, I see a blank you canvas. Can see okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. This is great. So so let's talk about a few things that that we've kind of done um, uh, in in terms of in terms of saturation, right? And so you can think of three verticals um, that that you can have basically your network. Um, you can have your CPU utilization. Uh, and then you can have your disk, right? And so these are roughly speaking the the, the verticals that that um, that that did you get to to saturate on a storage device? And so what's interesting is that for network, you really can measure with um, you know iperf three and and Red Panda should be able to to be able to saturate the network, um, uh, you know at uh, at all times. And and so um, what what we've kind of done is we really optimize. Um, we really optimize for, for this right now, right? And the reason is if you're sending a gigabyte per second, then that, that's just like your business requirements, right? And we can optimize the network actually with compression. Um, I'm just kind of answering your first question, but so you can you can optimize the network with, with a little bit of compression and you train in a little bit of CPU. And we can when we talk about WebAssembly and the trade-off of um, uh, CPU for network and, and disk utilization is, and, and so, but these are the levers that you can start to think about. And so the reason here is that if you look at the clock, at the clock tick of a spinning disk, uh, let's say, right? So um, because the latency moves to, let's say 24 microseconds, uh, just as a uh, picking a random number. Um, um, so, so then what happens is that if, you, if you're blocked on, on, on a thread of execution, um, what using an asynchronous framework allows you to do is allows you to optimize the CPU because um, what happens is you dispatch the IO, but then you go and you do other useful work. And then later in the future, you come and you reap the events as opposed to, to having this kind of sequential, right? So the difference is you move. So let's say from, um, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm gonna give this a number to like 10, 10 units of execution or let's say 10 milliseconds, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, to let's say like eight, right? And so I'm making up numbers here. And so that's that's what using an asynchronous framework uh, allows you to do. So you submit the events to the hardware, and then later on you can rip those events. But in between, if you're using a comparative uh, multitasking framework, it allows you to suspend that thread and say like, hey, I'll rip these events uh, later. And so ultimately what this means, and I'm gonna create a new slide here, is that um, uh, you're, you're really leveraging the hardware as, as much as you can. Um, now, so, so those are the metrics that, that you want to use. I do want to talk about Kubernetes actually as some of the fundamental things that we do. So we added an anti-entropy mechanism um, 
to uh, embed it in, in, in Red Panda proper uh, that, that, you know, we actually didn't make this an enterprise feature. So every single user of, of Red Panda gets to leverage this anti-entropy mechanism. And, and this is when, when Kelsey tweeted about Red Panda, this is like one, one big fundamental feature that if you are, uh, you know, working in, in a dynamic environment like Kubernetes, like you have to have this. And what the anti entropy does is that it fixes workloads, um, workload skew, right? Um, and so the idea here is that oh, let's sorry, say you have- sorry, sorry, Alex, got a quick question from the, from the audience, from Evan, what's yeah. up, Evan? Uh, Evan's question, and Evan is no stranger to the world of storage. Any thoughts on impact if any of NVMe-OF uh, would be uh, cool as well? Does it lead to disaggregated as opposed to the use of local storage? Saturating the network suggests keep the data local. Yeah. Um, can I can I can I punt on that? So 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 okay. Let me answer that question quickly, and then I do want to talk, finish the the thought of anti entropy. Um, you could use both, and and I think it's it's all about cost um, for for some people, right? Like as long as the block device is exposed, there are some benefits to uh, to having local devices, especially in conjunction with the WebAssembly engine that that we've talked about. And the idea is like, how do you materialize locally without hopping the network? Because if you hop the network, then you end up ping pong in your data, and so it does work. But for people that have worked at, uh, at the storage level, well. Uh, typically, if you disaggregate computer and storage, you have a separate NIC, right? So you have two NICs in your computer. One NIC is like the workload NIC, and then the second NIC is is uh, um, is, is the, the substrate of, of the disaggregated storage so that uh, you can give determinism and, and SLAs to the workload uh, uh, network card. And so it requires much more sophistication. This is exactly how EBS works on Amazon, right? So like Amazon, they have a separate network and a separate NIC uh, effectively. I don't know actually physically how it works, but I do know that they have a separate network on EBS volume, same things with GCP. And so, um, so, so you can have this aggregation of a storage, Typically, the segregated storage will have a three three x uh, in, internal replication, and so when you compare it with um, a Red Panda workload that already has uh, a raft transactional raft and transactional mechanics, you end up replicating your app replicating your data nor three times. So, anyways, hopefully that answers your question. So it's a trade off that you just have to be aware of that the cost may vary from you know may explode from three x to nine x. Uh, if you end up using disaggregation of a storage. But if you are running your own disaggregation, the one thing I recommend is to divorce your, your workload uh, uh, network from your storage substrate uh, network uh, so that you can give determinism to the SLAs. Okay. Um, actually, bounded SLAs. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. and we had one other question, separate question. Um, are you using IOU ring? Great question. So, um, um, not, not yet. And the reason is, um, IO Uring is only about five percent uh, faster than libaio if you uh, uh, if you were using the the asynchronous rip interfaces. So um, we use Cstar as as the underlying framework, and Glober, who's a friend of mine, actually invested in his new company. Uh, he did this whole profiling and benchmark, and there's a public thread on it on, on Google uh, mailing list. And so at the end of the day, when you measure like end-to-end -end, uh, word log impact, uh, it's it's significant, it's like 5% uh, or so, but it wasn't like, you know, 3X or something like that. And the reason is the asynchronous framework that, that Sistar was using. So, so um, it basically you submit 128 IOCBs and then you can rip them asynchronously as well. And that require a kernel patch on 419 and above. So 
the, the executive summary is not yet uh, because it didn't have that significant impact. We're still going to do that. And so we hope that we have a chance to, to work on this kind of, uh, you know, not so low hanging fruit, but right now, you know, Red Panda is already so fast <laughs> in comparison with, with its peers that, that we haven't had the need to increase this 5% performance. We will uh, at some point. Okay. Uh, and then we, we got one more follow-up question, but I'll let you keep going. We can get to it. We can get to it afterwards. Okay, awesome. So so let's talk about anti-entropy, uh, you know, as in, in the function of Kubernetes. So here's an interesting workload. And so uh, Red Panda uses a stable leadership work pro protocol. And so um, for those in the audience, I have to cover everything from distributed systems to kernel bypass to Kubernetes because it's it's they're all, they're all co-designed. They're, they're not they're not sort of like separate designs that that, that you think of. And so um, the Kafka the, the protocol right it, it uses a stable leadership uh, semantics. And what it means is that uh, when you have a, a client uh, connecting to let's say a particular leader, uh, it, it it expects the the TCP connection to be stable. Right. And so the alternative here is that you don't need a stable uh, protocol. Uh, to, to save data onto a cluster, right? Uh, the alternative is that you do what the classic uh, single um, Paxos uh, gives you, which means you do a voting round for every time you save a piece of data onto the cluster, uh, you go from an acceptor into basically a committer and then, uh, and, and, and then you commit the data and then you respond. But that introduces an extra round of cannabis. And so what you're looking for in the Kafka protocol to keep semantics equivalent to upstream it's you're looking for a stable leadership. So that sort of um, declassifies a large uh, literature background on, on non-stable leadership protocols for the consensus round. That's important on the workload is queue in just a second. So a client application, your app connects to the leader in, 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 in a Red Panda broker. And, and so, uh, so it connects to the leader and then the leader, you know, uh, we use uh, Raft and this is fundamentally different. So this is a quorum system. And this is fundamentally different to like ISR, which is what 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 upstream uses. And so, you can think of ISR as a as like a, a chain of the weakest. Um, the, the and we wrote a very detailed blog post on this. Is the the latency that you get on an ISR acknowledgement chain is uh, the latency of the worst behaving node. Uh, the difference between that and a quorum system is that the latency that you get from a quorum system is uh, the best of the majority, right? So you go from, from worst of the link to best of majority. That, that's a pretty detailed dis distinction and, and, and something to, to, to keep in mind. Uh, so let's say this is worst, uh, let me just write it here, worst of uh, chain, and then this is best of majority. Uh, majority. And so, okay, so anyway, so let's talk about work anti-entropy. Um, so, so when you when you connect it into this node, and then let's say that these are followers, um, and, and everything is great. And so now let's say that you have another another customer, right? Another client connecting to a litter. And now all of a sudden, uh, it turns out that this node is responsible for like you know eighty percent of the traffic. The issue with this is that then uh, you know your um, your saturation is going to be uh, you know this this like right like. That particular node can only handle so much uh, network connectivity. The CPU is going to be spiked, right? Uh, meanwhile, the the other followers use an internal RPC framework that it has been, you know, optimized for for leader endian encoding, pretty similar to flood buffers that I wrote. I actually contributed a couple of patches to flood buffers before I decided to write my own. 
um, internally for this storage system. And so, anyways, so let's talk about the skip on the anti-entropy mechanism. The idea here is that if you have 80%, you're not using your cross-sectional bandwidth. And so the cross-sectional bandwidth is the idea of like what happens in the totality of the cluster. Like what is the actual bandwidth available um, in, in the cluster? And so now going back to, to this, and so what the anti-entropy mechanism says is that right now is, you know, it, it's active and it only has one, one mode. Uh, we hope to expand this as the number of partition leaders. Um, and so now when it detects, there's a, there's a loop in, in, every, in every node in actually in the controller. And so, um, you know, imagine that you have an Oracle, um, you have an Oracle and the Oracle is like inside the Red Panda cluster. Um, the, basically the code design is the Oracle of Red Panda coexisting with the Oracle of Kubernetes. And so the Oracle every 10 milliseconds or so, and you know, it understands because of Raft, like who has leadership of what? And so it says like, hey, this has 80%. Uh, and because you have three nodes, this should really come down to be, you know, basically 33% uh, leadership. And it'll, it'll start a migration of leaderships um, to the other nodes. So that when a new client comes up, it'll connect to, you know, so every node is a leader and follower of some other particular groups. And so when new clients connect, you know, they're gonna come in to the other nodes. And so you start to leverage this particular cross-sectional bandwidth of your cluster, what it means for the user, if we go back to the particular, uh, to, to, to the first uh, uh, kind of levers that you have in, in a storage subsystem is this really starts to optimize the network piece, right? And also the CPU, uh, but not the disk, right? So that the anti-entropy mechanism is an optimization to optimize both disk and CPU. And the reason here is like, how do you move the bottleneck from uh, away from, uh, from one node into into a multiple uh, nodes and leverage the cross-sectional bandwidth. Any questions here? <laughs> um, we 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 got a comment um, that okay. that uh, this all sounds like very much first principles design to me, which is great. Okay, awesome. So let's keep moving on as to some of the things that that we've done in. Uh, let me try to prioritize the time here because we we don't have that much time left. So. Um, the, 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 remember that, that Red Panda I talked about as being a quorum system and, and the importance of being a quorum system is if you have a log, um, so what a log gives you as an abstraction is immutability. This is not true with other Kafka API implementations for the record, right? And so, so we use a quorum system. In particular, we use, actually let's talk about specifics, which we use Raft. And so where Raft gives you, it gives you three semantics that are important for Kubernetes. So first of all, it says you cannot have a gap in the log, full stop. You can have unavailability of a particular partition, uh, but, but you cannot have a gap in the log. And so um, this is not true with actually uh, all the majority of the other uh, streaming systems. Um, because they use different replication protocols and different recovery mechanics, the idea here when you benchmark is, to me, when I was designing this, hardware is so good now, we can actually use good protocols. Uh, and you know, like networks are sustainable when you can rent 100 gigabit per second NICs on Amazon and so on. Uh, and so, but this is exactly what a developer wants. And so when a developer sends, sends a message and then they consume the message back from the queue, they, they literally expect this kind of behavioral semantics, even if they don't articulate the mechanics that, that they're sort of expecting it, right? The idea here is on a pub sub system and ask anyone what the find what pub sub is that isn't an expert. 
you say like, what is PubSub? They'll tell you this word, it's almost word by word. They say, hey, I, I put publish a message and then I can consume the message. They never go back and tell you, well, depending on if you configure your, your brokers to flash your messages and, and uh, on, you know, to act and only act once it's been replicated to a quorum and the quorum has, has saved it to this so that you can survive multi-availability zone failure and you can survive different correlator uh, zone failures. That nobody says that because that is too complex for the developer. And so that's why I actually, uh, when designing the system, I studied with chain replication and I was actually talking with Mahesh, uh, who's now at Facebook, who, who wrote the Corfu paper a couple of days ago. Um, uh, really, like, you know, the, the downside of a chain replication system is that you always need metadata. And then once you build the metadata and recover, you end up with something that looks a lot like Raft. And so Raft gave me, and, uh, and then, you know, transitively, the, uh, the developer, the mental framework to understand, uh, you know, basically save semantics of what it means to publish and subscribe uh, fundamentally. And so, so this is important in the context of Kubernetes because it means if you transfer, if you transfer leadership, right? So from one of the leaders to, to, um, to a follower, let's say that this node crashes, you still have uh, high availability, right? Like it gives you a mathematical proof. Uh, but, but most importantly, and, and this is very subtle, is that it tells you once you elect a new leader. So let's say one, let's mark one of these nodes as the new leader then that leader has an up-to-date replica and there are no gaps in the log. And that's actually how people tend to reason about this, this system. And so now in a dynamic work like Kubernetes, I also speak really fast. So people in the audience, please feel free to stop me and, and, and ask any questions. Um, and, um, in, in a dynamic system like Kubernetes, uh, like you're probably gonna lose a node all the time. <laughs> like it's just, it, it's, it's Kubernetes. Uh, in fact, people like nook clusters all the time because uh, it's, it's very easy to nook a cluster, like the configurations. Kubernetes is so developer-friendly that, you know, I've seen people actually nook production clusters in general, not related to Red Panda, but, but to, to services. Um, you know, I actually think it's this upside is that it's so easy to use that people feel comfortable running in their laptop. So um, anyways, so, so to stay, to stay on, on track here, once you, once you transfer uh, the leadership, that is the semantic that it gives you. And again, this, um, this has to be co-designed, right? Like in, in the era of, of, of Kubernetes in that pods are, are dynamic and they'll come in and go and you need to like upgrade the kernel of a particular node, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this is another like important distinction of the storage engine. I wanna talk about two more important things. One is kernel optimizations. Um, and the other one is, is tiered storage as kind of like big big areas of, 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 of expertise, excuse me big areas of improvements to be able to run a storage subsystem and, and Kubernetes. Let me know if you have any questions. No, you're good, you're on a roll, keep going, keep going. All right, um, so <clears throat> let's talk about um, kernel optimizations. So you don't have to do this to run a Red Panda, but if you care about latency and throughput, we have um, a command called RPK tune. Uh, this is also in the in basically the, the GitHub, so, so you could run it yourself. <laughs> this is not an enterprise feature. So everything I'm talking about is actually just just um, out there for, for everyone to use. Um, except tiered start, uh, which we're releasing probably in, in pretty pretty soon. So stay tuned. Um, so okay, so so RPK tune, what it does is that it probes the hardware. And so a couple of things that are important. So it turns out that if you have a multi-core subsystem and you have a NIC, 
uh, every every core has basically uh, two queues. Uh, you know, basically send and receive. Uh, I can't even spell, but you get the gist. Um, and, and so what what multi queue says is that um, you know every every NIC uh, can 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 basically uh, um, interrupt and, and rip and consume from the same core. Um, and so that's one optimization. Another optimization is that on the block scheduler level, right? So let's let's draw two subsystems, right? So first, this is the block device layer, and then here sits the file system, and then here sits the kernel, and then here here sits like you know red panda, and red panda. So so assume that you have this right, and like this this is it. This is the actual device. This is the NVMe device. Uh, actually, technically here. Because there's the NVMe controller, um, CTRL, and then like you know actual calcogenites, like the, the the actual you know metal is is here. <laughs> um, so let's talk about these two these two use cases um, that are important for latency. So the first thing that um, that we do is we really tell the kernel two things. We uh, the storage engine actually completely understand the 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 layout of 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 the block device. Frankly, the Linux kernel tells you that, right? Like you can say, like, hey, file system, what is your page line alignment? You know, blah blah blah, and then the file system will say, like, oh, like I have been configured to give you uh, 512 byte uh, 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 page alignments, or or a megabyte, or four, you know, 4096. Uh, alignments and and um, and that's basically it. so. So what we do is we tell the Linux scheduler don't coalesce the IOs, and the reason is, Red Panda works on hardware align, um, align memory. And again, remember that we boot up, and you don't ever have to do this, but it's important to run RPK tune if you actually do care about latency. And so what the kernel is trying to do is trying to give the general developer. Um, uh, effectively uh, uh, sound primitives to, to, to reason about. And so when you open a file, uh, that file typically comes with a page cache, which is, is, is like another object, right? You can think of it as a map in your, in you know, mentally. If you're, if you're writing code, this is like map, let's say string to string, right? And uh, it's, like, it's not that, it's more, more sophisticated, but assume that, and then it's like an offset to, to, to data, right? So it's actually, you know, an integer to, to a much more sophisticated data structure, but let's say an integer to a string or an integer to like a byte array. Um, and, and so anyway, so we align this thing. And so there is no point. And in fact, we don't want the uh, the block scheduler to coalesce the IOs. And so if you if you have a file and you're streaming writes to a file, you can say like, hello world and, and hello Bart and hello data and Kubernetes, blah, blah, blah. What the Linux scheduler will do is like, okay, cool. I'm not gonna do anything. Um, at some tick in the future, um, they're like, oh, look, there's a bunch of little IOs. I'm going to uh, create a new block. Uh, and then I'm going to mem copy these things, align them and compact them into a single page. And then I'm going to save this as opposed to dispatching multiple pages, right? Because what ends up happening is that you end up consuming the bandwidth of the device for, for actual data. And so this has huge material improvements for standard IO workloads. And so what we did is we, we, we tell the kernel, don't coalesce the IOs. We're using hardware-aligned memory boundaries. We want to track it ourselves. And so we don't use, this is kind of, um, when we don't use the page cache uh, in addition to, and I'll talk about that in just a second. And then we also, uh, uh, you know, tell, tell the kernel to, to not call us the, the, 
the IO and then to use a FIFO dispatch queue for the actual underlying um, storage, right? So like the communication between the block device and the and the and the NVMe controller uh, will will happen on a FIFO basis. And we choose uh, on the application actually the IO CBs and hardware alignment that we want the kernel to save to to sort. What am I trying to say here? And how does this relate to Kubernetes? <laughs> uh, you, so so the second thing here, but to answer that question is. Um, you don't have to do anything with Kubernetes, but if you do care about latency, then on a pod, when you when you start the pod, I have to come back to this thing. Uh, basically, as an init container, you you run RPK tune, and then typically you would run uh, you would run Red Panda um, uh, at, to to. You know, if you, it depends on, on your workloads. We typically recommend uh, if you if you actually care about a squeezing latency, then we recommend like you can take the whole machine. But again, here's what's cool about Red Panda is all of this is optional. Like the system is intelligent enough to to figure whatever the environment gives you, and and it'll just work, right? So you can run it on your Mac laptop on on like uh, the Docker VM on your Mac, or you can run it on a 96 core VM on an IE3 EN metal with this tuners or you know, frankly, you can run it on ARM. We support ARM, um, and it doesn't matter. Red Panda will figure out well what are the things that the that the developer or the deployment operator gave me, and it'll try to do its best, right? And so, the more optimizations that that you push onto uh, uh, Red Panda from like the hardware level, the better it'll run. But but you don't have to. So I think that's another key principle. You never have to go all the way. In. Like you can spin up. In fact, we have IoT um, users that. <laughs> Uh, you know, for, for a comparative workload, they actually run the entire workload on a single core because Red Panda is so efficient at doing its job. It um, they they had a, a um, uh, like you know clusters with like Zookeeper and and other you know competitors, and they're like, hey, I just need a single core, and maybe I'll use three cores, and it's fine for their workloads. They really you know they care about subsecond latencies. They don't care about microsecond or like. You know, low, low digits milliseconds, or and and so they don't care. You know, for them, they're throughput bound, and it's mostly a mental model. And so, uh, we're giving just you tooling to 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 reason about. Anyways, to stay on course with Kubernetes, because this is this is all about Kubernetes and not search engine. Is you can say RPK tune all, and it's one command, right? There, there's no, there's nothing you have to do. It's it's one command, and then RPK has intelligence, and it'll do a few things. It'll detect if you are on GCP and it'll disable a couple of firmware optimizations that made uh, GCP storage absolutely atrocious for tail latencies. Like it's terrible. It's actually great for the average application developers and it's terrible for people that understand storage. Um, uh, I think uh, Amazon has a, has a better storage story there. Um, so, so anyway, so RPK tune does and, and it's everything from like uh, figuring out which cloud you're running in to the actual device that you're running in to like what tuners are available, what like, you know, slash proc uh, tuners that you have and, and it'll just do it all, right? And so you don't have to worry about it. There's documentations and you can turn them on and off, uh, you know, separately. Anyways, and then you run Red Panda and then, you know, you tell Red Panda like whatever, you know, C groups limits uh, you give them and, and then, you know, it, it'll kind of just work. Um, now, the second thing I do want to go back here to this, uh, and then I probably just have to wrap up for questions and I'll, and I'll mention tier storage is we don't use the page cache. So when you start a file, the, the kernel gives you an object like a map. And, and so what it introduces for a storage system is introduces latency and, and, and jitter and unpredictability. The reason is when you read a page, 
this this page cache thing will like, oh, you're gonna read a page. I'm smart and I'm gonna fetch the next 10 pages. But I was like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a storage engine and I can tell you exactly what I want with protocol semantic uh, information that the file system could never have. And so if when we're trying to squeeze performance out of the hardware, we have to um, understand that the file system for us, a storage system, uh, transactional storage system, uh, it, it introduces uh, uh, you know, latency and, and um, unpredictability. And the reason is if the file system starts doing this for every file handle, and let's say you have you know, 100,000 file uh, partitions on, on a particular machine or a million, um, then, then you end up saturating the throughput of the device in a, for, for wasted work instead of actually doing useful work. So in the low tiers, right, when you aren't trying to saturate the device, it's probably fine, really. So what if it introduces a millisecond of latency? Most people, you know, are not at that level anyways. But the problem is at the limit. Like what happens when you start to saturate the device? Well, then at the limit, your, your device is stuck doing a bunch of wasted work and, and is wearing and tearing your devices and actually not doing anything meaningful for the application. And so uh, it's kind of like why computers feel slow today. Um, one more thing on a storage engine, and then I honestly have to wrap up for questions because I'm we're at the top of the hour, and but we've talked about I think the most 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 semantic thing. So the last one is transparent tiered storage. Um, so this is probably the coolest thing that we've done. And stay tuned for a very in-depth blog post of how we actually make this happen. And so the idea here is that uh, if you have any S3 compatible APIs, so Minio, GCP, uh, AWS, excuse me, Azure Blob Store, they all provide the the thing because uh, S3 APIs dope uh, or Cloudflare even. So let's say that you have a leader and then you have a couple of followers and you're trying to save some data, right? And so what happens is let's say in, in total, um, this, this guy's, actually let's do arrows. Um, this guy's have, let's say one terabyte of disk locally, right? And it's replicated, which means that uh, is really like how much disk does, does one node have um, if, if let's say for this particular deployment. And so what happens is, um, and, and so, so you have one terabyte, um, but most people, what they do for disaster recovery is for all data, right? Uh, for let's say the, the previous 10 terabytes or petabytes, it doesn't matter. We have a user that's, that's pushing 12 petabytes of data to, to cold storage. Is um, this, this 10 terabytes will simply be uploaded automatically for the user. But here's the important thing. If you have a client application that is consuming, let's say you have a client and this is a particular leader for that partition, It'll go and it'll fetch lazily some data uh, into a local scratch space, scratch uh, TCH, um, and render the read transparently to the to the Kafka application. This is, I think, the you know the third uh, um, probably most significant change for a storage system to to work with with Kubernetes. It's like you have to plan for a total system disaster. And so the total the total basically data loss window right now for most deployments, given this modality is around 10 minutes, right? And this is assuming a correlated failure um, of, uh, of, of, of your entire cluster, right? And so you can mitigate that if you have multiple availability zones, right? So let's say that you want, and if you have multiple AZs, and so really is what is the probability of, of um, uh, of all basically 
of, of all three uh, zones failing at the same time for you to have this, this particular 10 minute failure. And so what happens is every 10 minutes, we seal a segment. So as you're writing data, uh, let's say here, right? So this is one, one, one uh, segment. Say you're filling this data and it's going great. Um, every 10 minutes and you can configure this, you can seal it. And once it gets sealed, it gets uploaded uh, onto S3 as an OR segment. And uh, we're actually adding more intelligence on it, but this is roughly uh, a better mental framework. Um, it'll seal it, it'll upload it so that if you have total system collapse, you can actually start another Red Panda cluster in 150 milliseconds and have your render reads right now. It's kind of magical. And this is, uh, this is the only feature that I've talked about that is enterprise. Um, and, uh, and yeah, anyways, I think I should break for questions because we only have eight minutes left and I've been talking like a maniac for the last 40 minutes. <laughs> You've been getting a lot of stuff in there and, and the drawings and the drawings certainly help. And I think this is something that we're going to be telling all of our future speakers if they can draw because it brings it to life in a different way and you get to see all the different connections. So one question, um, uh, here we go. I think that most cases using Kubernetes, you cannot really, you cannot get really persistent local disk um, and because all real persistent disk is remote. I guess you need some kind of co-op between fast NVMe or remote. Uh, so remember that this is all optional. You you can I mean uh, we have some users that use network devices and and frankly I think we we also recommend that it's really all about what you're what you're trying to optimize for. Let me tell you when it doesn't make sense. Let's say you have an IoT stored and forward use case or we have this oil and gas pipeline use case. Uh, you know, they basically do a bunch of bulk inputs, they do a bunch of processing, they kind of throw it away, they don't really want to pay the cost of network disk. And so it is true that disk is a pain in the app, excuse me, it, it's very challenging to work with, um, especially with, with cloud uh, Kubernetes vendors, um, and it is network. And, and so think of this more as like tools and, and just, you know, use what makes sense for your use case. If you want to chat with me or my team, feel free to ping me on Slack. And um, we do a lot of consultative kind of architecture discussions for people. And then we just help, we, we don't really, uh, we just tell you like, this is actually how the hardware is working. This is the optimizations that you can make. Does it make sense for your use case? But it's true that this is the PSLR sometimes is how you deal with disk. And so this tiered storage and the local disk optimizations, they're just there available for the use cases that make sense. Um, we do run some of our cloud uh, in, in local disk. So it is possible. You just require a lot more tooling, like a lot more tooling like a team of 15 people basically tooling. Uh, and you know, we can afford that because we, we're in the service, we're in the business of, of giving a storage system to people. Very, very good. Um, positive feedback to, 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 that, to that answer. Um, now, once again, going back to the stakeholder question, it seems that uh, you know, the tool belt of a developer is, is maybe getting bigger, that there are other things that have been you know, taken into consideration regarding storage that perhaps weren't there if they're going to be working in a Kubernetes environment, would you agree that the developers can't go without, you know, they cannot ignore this. This is something they need to be taking into consideration. And to make that easier, obviously, you know, we have the data on Kubernetes community, there are other spaces. But what do you think about that? You know, looking back to, you know, 10 years ago in terms of how things were, perhaps maybe a bit more siloed. What's your take on that? Yeah, great question. So I was drawing this uh, slide and, and it's like, assume a uniform distribution. I think that uh, streaming and a storage subsystem has largely been for experts, um, expert by experts. And really what Red Panda and other storage subsystem, I think Cockroach is another good example. Um, 
it's like you know sort of pushing on on the complexity curve away from like you know by experts for experts but you have to get this like this like crazy idea of like certifications to be able to run this i mean i know things like you, you may want that for like really people pushing the envelope but my take on it is really diff a different design philosophy it's like why not make it super easy like why would the storage experts push the complexity of this thing onto the users? And that's really kind of the, the trade-off that I see here, largely made by other projects is, uh, and, and so this, so anyways, so, so to talk about in particular in Kubernetes, I think this is really a fundamental framework that people write in storage en engines and frameworks and author have to do. And this is why Kubernetes won in my view. It was actually the developer experience was beautiful. It's like you can you can get it started in comparison with other things. And really for, for large companies, if you are getting started on a Linux, you know, PHP app on, on like Apache, then there's better developer experience. But when you're trying to uh, kind of productionize uh, workload with security, et cetera, Kubernetes is actually a really fantastic API. So um, anyways, I'll stop there. And I think this is the this is the real innovation that is happening with a lot of frameworks like you know, Planet Scale and Cockroach and Red Panda. And, you know, we're really focused on like, how do we make this for non-experts? And so it's really expanding your toolkit and making it accessible for a larger audience of developers. I think that's great because to feel that it's not siloed, to feel like there's not necessarily that kind of gatekeeping that can go on with those things sometimes too. Um, and in, in really empowering people that previously may have been somewhat marginalized and left out of the, left out of the equation. We've got a little bit of time left. So I do want to ask you a question that we've been asking speakers lately. If you could... If you had to choose one person, historical figure, it can even be uh, you know, a superhero to run data on Kubernetes with together, who would it be? Who would be your first pick for your team? <sighs> it can be singers, it can be actors, it can be, it can be, like I said, super, it can be fictional characters, it doesn't matter. So so so, um, so, so is the question like uh, who who would be like a like a sidekick that I would that yeah, I exactly, that I would bring on? exactly, exactly. Oh man, I think that's a really great question. Uh, you know, I'll probably just bring a DJ. <laughs> like, uh, uh, man, it's like I, I listen to a lot of minimalism uh, in general, so it's just like uh, random minimalism that 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 I hear on the internet. Um, I'm trying to think. It's either that or maybe someone like Minor Threat, who's like a, a you know a punk rock uh, uh, artist uh, from like whatever 1984 era in in like hardcore American punk rock. Just because sometimes. Things don't make any sense and you feel so angry, you feel like smashing your keyboard. And I feel that listening to my North Star would just give you like a way to, yeah, it's like jump around in the screen with you know, without actually uh, breaking things. Uh, so that, that's a great question. I don't know, I need to think on the minimalism side when like things are actually working. I feel like there's there's two, there's a duality of personalities there. I like I like both, I like both because I, I, I can see that you can embrace both, embrace the chaos with minor threat. When you get into that kind of groove, you know, the minimalist side would, would, be, uh, would be more helpful. Um, now we, we don't like, unfortunately we don't have a lot of time left, but you know, just to recap, there is a lot of stuff to unpack there. Right. And we'll be, we'll be doing that in the, in the next couple of weeks for sure. Once you get the transcript up to, to get this shared with everybody, I had great feedback from the audience, great attendance. Um, we do have one question though, just really quickly, um, from Muhammad, uh, have you considered, uh, a declarative like interface to hide complexity? If you can answer that really quickly. Yes, I think that's on us. That's on like the roadmap. I think there's complexity on on management, and then there's complexity on interactivity. Um, I think Bentos is pushing the envelope there in terms of processing interactivity as a declarative function. I think it's on us still to expand 
what developers need to do to just bootstrap the infrastructure. So hiding complexity is not a one one stop thing. There's like hiding complexity at every level is is important. Very good, cool, nice, succinct answer. Before we finish up, as always, while you were drawing, we had somebody else drawing uh, in the background. So I'm gonna share my screen real quick. Let me know when you can see it. I can see it. Good. Oh my God, this is amazing. So yeah, so our amazing graphic recorder, Angel, is always in the background uh, listening to what's uh, being said by the speaker and creating a graphic representation of that. There was a lot of stuff that was covered. So I think you did a, think you did a very good job in, in, in the limited time that was available to get that done. Um, Alex, it was great to have you. We've done, like I said, this was live stream number 101 and the energy level was really good. We got some great questions from the audience. If you want to continue the conversation with Alex, please check out the links that I shared about Red Panda. Get into that GitHub repo that I also shared as well too. So you can take a look at the documentation, get um, you know underneath the hood a little bit more, dig into the weeds. Um, but also feel free to reach out to the Red Panda Slack. Lots of things going on there. Some great users, some great use cases. Um, Alex also is really easy to find on Twitter. Just Alex Gallego, I believe. Yes. No, oh, it's Emacs, Emacs error. No, the, the, the largest uh, error in the Linux kernel you can find. Oh, like Emacs, very good. Okay, Erno, okay. Yeah. So it's no coincidence that we talked a lot about kernels today. That's good. Um, anyway. <laughs> Alex, thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Folks, we'll be back next week with, uh, with more live streams on Tuesday and Thursday as usual and looking forward to deliver more great DOK content. We've also got Twitter spaces tomorrow. If anybody wants to hang out, we'll be talking about the history of data. I'm looking forward to that conversation. Once again, Alex, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Bart. Bye, guys. All right, take care. Cheers.